Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers in their 20s tell you that, yes, they do like Spider-Man. I'm Jordan, and they say anyone could wear the mask, but it sure couldn't be me. I'm Jason, and if your spider sense tingles for longer than four hours, please consult with your doctor, as Spider-Man 2 might not be for you. I'm Jackson, and you gotta watch out for Spider-Man 2. It's been a big year for Spider-Man fans. One of the biggest movies of the year, and now one of the most anticipated games of the entire console generation, thanks to Insomniac's Spider-Man 2. And spoilers, it rules. And now, let's get into it. You know... It's no surprise that we at TBM like Spider-Man, but I think what people will be shocked to know is that uh, we actually even like the bad Spider-Man games. <laughs> Sometimes the bad Spider-Man movies, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say it. I like Amazing Spider-Man, too. I'm going to say it. I like Shattered Dimensions. <laughs> no, people like Shattered Dimensions. <laughs> it was the one after it that got a lot of hate the one yeah. that was like just spider-man and 2099 time. yeah that was yeah. edge of time that one's a certified banger though yeah <laughs> for some reason a peter parker that by all intents and purposes should already have his powers for some reason becomes the evil leader of a mega corporation what a twist not a good twist but it was a heck of a twist <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's really wild though like I mean, everybody loves Insomniac Spider-Man, the 2018 game, and Miles Morales. So, of course, you know this was this one was on everybody's radar. But I feel like there was a lot of people that, as this game got closer, were like, "Oh yeah, but the the best Spider-Man was by far the the Spider-Man Two movie game." And I understand nostalgia is a thing, but. There, no other Spider-Man game even really comes that close to the first Insomniac game in my mind. Like, very few even other superhero games even come close to the first Spider-Man, in my opinion. So, it's been really weird to see people specifically defending, like, the movie tie-in games and stuff. Because I get two had great web swinging, but I don't remember anything else about it. <laughs> you know, without getting into anything about the new Spider-Man game... If I had to rank my favorite Spider-Man games, or even though no, just my favorite superhero games in general, it's probably Insomniac Spider-Man, and then Batman Arkham Asylum, and Batman Arkham Knight. Yeah, I mean, in, in my mind, the only two real contenders for, like, the best superhero game, prior to this game, of course, uh, were Spider-Man 1 and Batman Arkham Asylum. <laughs> like, that was it. There were no others that were on that level. Something about those games just so clearly understand the character and like the entire mythos around them in a way that i feel even the best spider-man games and batman games before just never really reached i guess yeah for like sure. the spider-man movie games were good but no one's ever going back to play those games for their story they're going back to play it because the web swinging uh, and yeah. Batman, now that I think about it, he just never had a good game until the Arkham Asylum one came out. So, <laughs> Basically, yeah. 
the only good only good Batman games were games that featured a bunch of other superheroes and also Batman was there and the most powerful <laughs> one somehow. Yeah, I mean, if I had to rank Batman games after the Arkham Asylum series... It'd be the Lego one. Yeah, the next game I think of is Lego Batman and then probably like Justice League Heroes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that game was a hidden gem, if you ask me. <laughs> it certainly was hidden. <laughs> But we're not talking about Batman. We already did a whole episode about that. We're we're talking about Spider-Man. And boy, do I love talking about Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are very few things that I have as strong of opinions about every detail as I do Spider-Man. Like, the fact that there are really intense debates about the different costumes from the different spider-man movies is very funny because like from an outside source they probably all are basically identical <laughs> but spider-man fans they go hard <laughs> they have very strong opinions about every detail of this character in every iteration and i think that's sort of why insomniac spider-man really stands out for me is because it's not it's not just that everything about it's really good it's the fact that Almost everything about it is, like, the best take on the character. Like, I do think the first game was a little light on the story until a pretty good amount of time into the game. But that version of Peter Parker, that version of a lot of the villains, even, like, that version of the suit were all top tier. Yeah, I mean, my only issue with that suit was that it was orange. <laughs> and they, they fixed that in the new one. <laughs> I don't even think it was that bad, like, in-game. But for some reason, specifically in the suit menu, it just looked completely orange. <laughs> I think in-game it was fine, and it was definitely fixed for the remaster, but like, I don't know what was going on there. Nah, I disagree with it being fixed. I think even in Spider-Man 2, if you look at that suit, it is still orange. Like, they, they didn't mess up the colors. But the new suit that he gets in Spider-Man 2 is red, and I like that. But it's kind of funny you mentioned that like the story stuff comes in pretty late with Spider-Man 1. Because I honestly think that one of my favorite parts of the Spider-Man games is when you're just going around and fighting like a random supervillain that doesn't necessarily tie into the, the main story. I think that's part of the reason I really like Ultimate Spider-Man, because so much of that game is kind of based around the rhinos attacking or like Electro's randomly attacking Beetle. <laughs> And then it's just take them down. And I think that it's really repetitive. And I get why you wouldn't build a whole game that way. But I do. I like seeing Spider-Man just kind of go about his business, you know? For sure. For sure. I do think that that is, if there was any one thing I would criticize the Insomniac games for, it is definitely the fact that the central villain kind of takes over everything. And I think that that's true for Spider-Man 1 and Miles Morales and this game to an extent where you fight other villains, but it's always just a stepping stone to, like, the villain. You fight other villains, and then the story actually starts. <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man media is, like, one of the few times where I'm okay with the sort of Monster of the Week type deal. For sure. When you have as strong of a set of villains as Spider-Man does, with such iconic designs and iconic powers, like, I, I think I, I can totally get behind just fight this guy now this guy now this guy because each of them are so interesting and have such a unique connection to spider-man and really just love everything about 
you know, the whole Spider-Man mythos. And I think that's why it translates so well to all these different movie reboots and different game series and why Spider-Man is such a dominant force in all Marvel things, even when he's not, quote unquote, the star. I mean, I think it says something that when Marvel sold off all those properties in the 90s and early 2000s, they still kept Spider-Man at the forefront of comics when they yeah. tried to write the X-Men out. Right. They knew where their cash cow was. Especially after the MCU started. They tried to replace the X-Men with the Inhumans for all intents and purposes. And like, nobody was going for that. But the fact that they would still try is insane to me. Especially <laughs> considering there was no attempt to do that with Spider-Man. Because, yeah. I mean, they knew who their cash cow was. Especially in the comics. But anyways... I'll do a little bit of setup for what's going on in Spider-Man 2. So I guess we should probably say up front, we're going to be assuming a lot. Um, we're we're going to kind of assume that you, the listener, are at least mostly familiar with Spider-Man and who he is and what his deal is. But I feel like there have been enough movies and TV shows and just all sorts of different stuff with Spider-Man that everybody kind of gets it. But in the first game... Uh, Spider-Man faced off against Doc Ock, uh, his mentor. He took down a, a whole, you know, basically a Sinister Six. I guess, I don't remember if they ever say in fiction it is the Sinister Six, but you know, that's what it is. Uh, he takes on a Sinister Six's worth of villains, finds out that Miles Morales, a, a kid who he worked with through the Feast Center, which is like a, a, a charity for homeless people, has these Spider-Man-like powers. We get this uh, Miles Morales spinoff where he's taken on childhood friend and defending the city in Peter Parker's absence. And then a few months later, everything goes wild as this game picks up with Sandman basically taking over an entire quarter of the city and just wreaking havoc. And it throws you right into the middle of that. Like within minutes, you are on your way to fight this hulking Sandman that's as tall as a skyscraper. So that's where it all kicks off, and then it goes a lot of different directions from there. It's definitely a really cool angle to take Peter Parker, because they've uh, they've moved him away from being a journalist or anything like that. And in this game, at least at the very beginning, he is a teacher now, working at Brooklyn Visions Academy, the same school where Miles goes. I guess we're going to get into a, like a light spoiler here. I was a little disappointed that that doesn't really continue on throughout the game. I was thinking the exact same thing. I thought that was such a cool angle, and I thought that was going to be, like, the angle for the game was that Peter Parker was going to have to juggle being a teacher and, like, having that connection to Miles as his student with being Spider-Man, and then the rug is pulled out from under that almost immediately. I guess the idea was supposed to be that during the school day, Peter would cover for Miles while he went out and did Spider-Man stuff, and then after work... Peter could go out and do Spider-Man stuff, and they wouldn't have to interfere with each other's private lives quite so much. Sandman attacking at the very beginning disrupts that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I will say that Sandman fight is really cool. It's very cool. like incredibly over-the-top visually, but it's also a really, really smart tutorial because it has you do basically... It shows you the full extent of these characters' powers, at least as they are in the beginning of the game, in a very natural way where you're taking on these Sandman goon things. I don't even know how to describe them. They're guys made of sand that also just are Sandman, kind of. Um, and you're also, you know, weaving in and out of fights with the little guys to fight this giant monster of a Sandman that's over the city. And it, it's such a cool scene. 
and it really establishes that this game is a little bit more high octane <laughs> right out of the gate than the first game was. That was one of my few complaints about Spider-Man 1, which I don't even know if complaint is the right word. It's just, it's a slow burn. I don't really feel like Spider-Man 1 really comes alive until about half to two thirds of the way through when you start to see what like the actual conflict is. <laughs> Whereas this game starts things off pretty hardcore right away. And the first game had a pretty cool first mission where you're taking down Kingpin right off the bat. But it definitely didn't have this level of intensity that the Sandman fight does. It's very different vibes between the two intros, while both feel very Spider-Man. For sure. Like, the, the Kingpin fight was cool, but it was smaller scale, and it was one-on-one, -on -one and a lot of quips, and, you know, it was just Spider-Man taking on a bunch of Kingpin's guys. Whereas this, you're covering huge amounts of the city and you're saving people as you're you know running through these buildings that are toppling because they're being overcome with sand and you know you're you're helping people in need as you are like swooping in and landing a blow on sandman proper occasionally like it has this whole thing of spider-man plural now they are helping people every step of the way and i think that that's like a really big focus of this game narratively is the Spider-Men are there to help people. And sometimes that takes a lot of different faces. And sometimes just because one of them wants to help in a certain way doesn't mean that that actually helps everyone as a whole. <laughs> um, and I think that this, this whole first mission really, like, it's a zero to 100 moment that kind of shows them saving a lot of people in a lot of different ways in the midst of, like, a giant over-the-top fight, which is very cool. The intro is really good about showing the teamwork between Peter and Miles, and especially really showing how Miles has come into his own as a hero. You know, a lot of that's kind of been established in Miles Morales' own game, but I think that showing him heroing right next to Peter is like a really big step of making it clear that these are both Spider-Man. You know, like it or not, Miles Morales is Spider-Man, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and they have just such a high level of chemistry between each other that they wordlessly split up any tasks that need to be taken to beat the Sandman. I said that in a really corporate weird way, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think like, it's really cool to show that level of trust and communication between the two Spider-Men and just getting it out of the way, right out of the gate to be like, they're a team now. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people thought the Miles Morales spinoff game was like dumb for not being a DLC. But I feel like it would have been a lot more limited. And I think having something like that before Spider-Man 2, so Miles can be a lot more fleshed out beforehand, is very good. This is not a version of Miles that is like still in training or still under Peter Parker's wing. Like this is, he is a full-fledged hero. He may not be as experienced as Peter Parker, obviously, but they are on equal footing. And they depend on each other as equals, which I think is really cool. And I don't think would have worked at all without the Miles Morales game. I, I think that Miles Morales kind of walked so this game could run. Sure. I think that's a good way to put it. Miles Morales was th the game, not the character. You know, taking advantage of a lot of the new <laughs> hardware stuff that the PS5 could do, as well as kind of establishing the character in a way that they couldn't really do in the first game, especially because, you know, he wasn't even playable in that one. <laughs> right. Miles Morales wall crawled so Spider-Man 2 could web swing. Sure. Okay. Thanks for that. <laughs>
But I, I do think that it was really important even just kind of getting the team working on this game up to speed on how the PS5 runs because this game looks better than either of the previous games. It runs better. It has ray tracing in all of its graphics modes, which is just insane and makes the city look crazy with just like everything reflecting light off of everything. It sounds so simple, but this is one of the few video games I've played that I think really nails ray tracing in a mind-blowing way without sacrificing insane amounts of performance. Yeah. I mean, I was playing Control just this morning, and the implementation of ray tracing in Control has like a second of lag between when your character moves and when the reflections move and everything gets recalculated. And it's really distracting, but Spider-Man 2 doesn't have that issue. I think that there are moments in this game where some of like the character models and stuff don't look the best, but anytime you're just looking out over the city, it is gorgeous. There is so much detail. There is so much personality. Uh, The first game was kind of sparse in terms of people just walking around or cars on the road, whereas this city feels very full and like there are people everywhere. There are cars everywhere. There's so much going on all the time, and it always looks fantastic. I think that this game just nails the look of the city and the way that Spider-Man sort of interacts with the city all the way throughout. I think that that is one thing I could not ask for better of, at least not with what we've seen of this console generation so far. Insomniac just keeps hitting it out of the park with the PS5. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Like, by far one of the best developers out there, at, at least in terms of, making really really good use of what the consoles can do and i thought that ratchet and clank was already on another level and like this game is just bonkers compared to that well this game breaks out the uh ratchet and clank like portals opening up and teleporting you throughout the city thing pretty early on yeah the story mission where you do that a lot probably one of my favorites from the game it's just really cool because like not only it's incorporated both into the traversal of that mission and the combat of that mission Mm mm-hmm it's just really cool. And then it's also incorporated a little bit into some of the side activities. A little bit. You just go through a door with that sort of like teleportation style thing going on. It's not much, but like it's still cool. Something that just wasn't possible before this era of gaming. Yeah. And they really make they, they make use of it in a way that's really, really cool, but still subtle enough that it's never like it's like it's never the whole thing. It's just like, oh, yeah, you walk through this door and now suddenly you're in this massive arena with like all sorts of particle effects going on and all these crazy backgrounds. And, you know, the platforms are all different and have all these different effects on it. And there's no loading time leading into that. There's no build up like there's not even like a trick of like the camera spins and it changes like it's just like it unfolds right in front of your eyes instantly. Yeah. And that's wild. You can fast travel from one end of the city to the other. And it's just nothing. And both areas, the, the place you're leaving from and the place you're going to, like, it has pedestrian NPCs. It has cars. It has, you know, all these. I, I don't know exactly how to refer to, like, the interiors of the buildings. But, like, there's a lot of tricks going on to make it look like the buildings are real and there are people, like, actually using them for stuff. But all of that loads so quickly. And I've never seen anything else like it in any game. And when you fast travel anywhere, it's not like it cuts to black and you're standing in a spot like any other game. You go on the map, you select any spot, not even like a specific fast travel point, like a subway station or something, just literally anywhere on the map in a district that you've done enough activities in. 
you just press a button and it starts zooming into the spot right into the web swinging or into the web gliding, just whatever the game wants to do then. I understand, you know, this is a Spider-Man game. I'm going to web swing almost everywhere. And that's what I did in the other games. But the fast travel system is so cool that I honestly did that a whole lot. Yeah, I I only fast traveled in the first game for the sake of like, there's a trophy where you have to do it like 10 times or something. Yeah. Whereas in this game, anytime I had to travel more than like a thousand meters, I would do it like right away. Traversal was still really, really fun and even better than the first game. Oh, yeah. But it's just that fast travel. I mean, it's literally like three to four seconds and you're on the other side of the city and everything's already loaded in, ready to go. That three to four seconds, it includes looking for the spot that you want to fast travel to. Yeah, it's wild. It's absolutely insane. And I I hope more games are going to do stuff like this. Yeah. But let's let's stop and talk a little bit about the new traversal, because I think that of all the things that improved from the first game, that is the part that it saw the biggest upgrade, in my opinion. Getting around was already really fun in the first game. And then now it's on like a whole nother level, like the speed mm-hmm. and variety that you have at your disposal is so cool. Yeah, because like I really like the traversal in the in the first game it you know it's it's web swinging you're spider-man you got a whole bunch of cool tricks but like it was pretty heavily criticized for being too slow which i didn't agree with but i think if it would have been exactly how it was in the first game with the new bigger map now that it includes brooklyn and queens it would not have worked very well i didn't mind that it was slow in the first game i think it would be hard to go back to yeah yeah i didn't mind it in the first game like i still love the traversal in the first game i just don't think it really would have worked for this game though with how big the map is because there's a lot of times where you have to go from like one district to another and sometimes that involves going across the river which you know means swinging across a bridge which can be easily what's the word sped up by the web wings that are now in the game (laughs) and oh boy those are fun the web wings are like such a crazy addition the fact that you can be just swinging along, tap a button, and now suddenly you're gliding at ridiculous speeds. Yeah. I, I was not sure how this was going to work out at all. It was one of those things where I knew it was going to be useful, but I didn't think it was going to be necessarily fun or it was going to fit the Spider-Man style. But boy, was I wrong. Just being able to go from web swing to glide back to web swing with the speed and precision you do in this game is so cool every Mm -hmm. single time and it all feels so good yeah and like it switches so seamlessly between swinging and gliding when they revealed that there was going to be web wings i just didn't think that was going to be the case like i was pretty cautious about the web wings because i thought they would be too good and way too useful that you just wouldn't need the web swing but it's not the case thankfully Yeah, it was really weird. I saw a lot of reviews early on that talked about like the web wings are so much better than web swinging. They kind of remove the need to do it. And I completely disagree with that because for one, web swinging is almost always faster than using the web wings unless you're using one of the wind tunnels. But also like the web wings are fun, but they do not compare to the feeling of web swinging through the city. Like that is absolutely what I come to Spider-Man for. And that is the thing that I think has been given the biggest like facelift between the two games. There are more animations, everything looks better, flows together better, and then you have more options for how the web swinging feels and looks as well. Like 
there's yeah. this new swing assist mechanic, which essentially was turned up all the way to 10 in the previous games. But in this game, it gives you a, a scale and you can turn it down to, you know, whatever level you feel comfortable with. Uh, or you can just turn off the swing assist completely. The lower the swing assist is, the more momentum and physics-based the swinging becomes. And it also kind of lets you do dumb things like slam yourself into the ground if you're not paying enough <laughs> attention when you're web swinging. There was this really funny video that went around uh, Twitter like the first few days the game came out where when you're doing the, the spider cycle, the trick where you just do like a huge circle in the air on a web like in... I don't remember which Spider-Man movie it was. Maybe Spider-Man 2. I don't know. One of the Sam Raimi ones. This person had the fall damage on. So when they did that, they came back down and hit the top of a building and instantly died. This game, if you turn everything off, it will just let you destroy yourself in very funny ways. And I didn't necessarily use that mechanically to my advantage or to really do much there. But I did have a lot of fun with just throwing myself around into buildings and off of like really high ledges and stuff. I really liked it. I think it added like a risk reward factor to the game that is kind of missing from the previous Insomniac Spider-Man games. You have to pay more attention to where your web is going to connect. And like, if you're going really fast and the buildings are farther away from you, like you're going to have to use a longer web line. And if you're not careful, you're just going to slam straight into the ground. I liked the extra level of thought that I had to put into web swinging. And I think it made me a lot better at the web swinging because just a lot of practice and a lot of times where I accidentally slammed myself into the ground and lost a bunch of health. I never really messed around with the swing assist stuff. Like I tried to at first, but I just took it all the way down to zero instead of just like slowly decreasing mm -hmm. it. So it just immediately got a lot harder. And after that, I just didn't really try it back at anything other than max just because where i've played the first game so many times it feels weird to not have the swinging feel the same as it has mm -hmm. i don't know I, I liked it i was really surprised that i didn't see more reviews talking about it because i try not to keep up with the review cycle for most games that we're going to talk about on the podcast but i couldn't keep my eyes away when it was spider-man's embargo dropped like a week early <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't see like any reviews that talked about the revamped web swinging and it's very different. It feels a lot better. I, I don't know how you could do a review of this game without mentioning it, but all anybody talked about with traversal was the web wings, which I think are like a game changer, <laughs> but not as much as the, <laughs> the new web swinging mechanics. I think there's also other than the web wings and the swing assist, I feel like they've just improved the web swinging a whole lot on top of that, too. Mm -hmm. Because one, where it's a PS5 exclusive, the swinging is a lot faster now. So even if you're not using the web wings, you can still travel a lot farther, a lot quicker. On top of that, you've got things like the spider cycle that I mentioned that gets you a whole lot of speed. So that's really useful. It's also just really fun to use because you just you dive bomb and then you just start trying to swing and it does that and you get a whole bunch of speed. And you can either just keep swinging after that, or you can go into your web wings, get a whole lot of speed going forward. And then there's another one that I didn't use too much, but I know, Jason, you were saying you did a lot because it was really useful with the swing assist down. The move where when you're coming up on the edge of the building, you press, I think, circle, and then either left or right with the left stick, and you do like a turn right there at the building, which is really useful for keeping momentum while swinging. Yeah. Because the first game didn't really have that. 
So it made trying to like turn other directions quickly pretty difficult. Now that there's something like that, you can really like keep your speed and momentum as you keep going, which is very nice to have. I also really like with the swing assist off, since everything's kind of more physics based, it's a lot more dependent upon where your web actually connects on a building. So if you're smart about it, you can actually kind of already do a similar thing just by being close to a building and connecting like right at the corner to swing around. But, you know, once you've picked up a lot of speed and you're moving really quickly forward, it's hard to do that kind of thing. And just being able to whip around a corner with a single button press is a lifesaver. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think all the changes to traversal are like so good. I can't think of any that I don't like at all. Now, one thing that I think is a little more contentious is a pretty major change to combat. So in the first game, or first two games, both Peter and Miles had a set of gadgets at their disposal, and you could sort of stop time and pull up a radial and pick one of those several gadgets. And generally speaking, the gadgets were all some variation of web-based abilities, you know, a very powerful web that can knock people into walls or ones that can pull groups of enemies together, but still like very quintessential Spider-Man abilities. So this game has sort of replaced that whole thing with kind of two new systems. So there is still a gadget system. There are four gadgets that are shared between the characters, and those still work more or less the same as the previous, except that there are a lot less of them and you gain charges more frequently. Yeah, I don't like the new gadget system. The last game had... Well, okay, I know Miles Morales only had four, and I also didn't like that. But Spider-Man 2018 had, I don't know, eight different gadgets? I think it was eight. And every single one of them, except the concussion one... um, Sorry, not the concussion one, the, uh, the suspension matrix one, I, like, always used, especially the trip mine one. That one was so fun to using like mid combat. You'd just be like throwing enemies up in the air. While you're up there, you just shoot a trip mine down. It pulls one of them down. Tons of stuff like that. You had the web bombs that would web up enemies pretty easily. The impact web, that's a weird one they get rid of. Don't know why they got rid of that one. It feels like to me they got rid of the more spider themed gadgets. Which which is a little yeah. weird. Like Essentially, they kept the little robot that would knock enemies up into the air for you or electrocute them. But then they get rid of things like the web bomb, which is in the comics. Like, that's a really common Spider-Man gadget. No electric web. No electric web. I don't necessarily care so much about that because Peter has abilities that do electricity. Miles has abilities that do electricity. You're not really losing it. But I, I do think, like, the trip mine and the impact web are the most quintessential Spider-Man gadgets that I could possibly think of, and they're both gone. I will say my favorite thing that they added in terms of gadgets, though, is the web lines. Those are awesome. And that is the most Spider-Man gadget I can think of, of just (laughs) being able to look at a wall and then create a, a web line that you can walk on and create your own rafters, essentially. You can create a big spider web up in the rafters and then just poke down and take out enemies and that's awesome (laughs) yeah but sadly like that's only a stealth thing that can't be used in combat in any way so in combat you're only limited to four which are the web grabber which i do like that one i love i do use that one a good bit some sort of suspension thing don't know what it's called you basically fired an enemy and it like sends like three or so in the air um that's all right you've got a million other ways of sending enemies up in the air (laughs) 
Yeah. You got ricochet webs, which will ricochet off of walls and hit enemies multiple times. And you can upgrade it to do some cool stuff. Like when it hits an enemy, it'll split into more. So you can take out like big groups with it. Yeah. I thought it was most useful for webbing up like heavy enemies and bosses because Mm -hmm. those guys, you just can't web them up with the normal web shooters. Yeah. Yeah. So like half the half the web gadgets are good. Half of them, until at least closer to the late late game, don't care for. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my experience. Was the two that are more like normal Spider-Man things, the one that like shoots a web out and pulls a lot of enemies close together, and the one that you shoot a web and it like zips around to other enemies. Those were really cool. They felt very like true to Spider-Man, and they were very good right from the get-go. But the other two, they felt really out of place. And they also just weren't that great until you, like, upgraded them a lot. All of the gadgets become ridiculously overpowered by the end of the game. But early on, the other two just felt really out of place, both mechanically and aesthetically. They just, they didn't feel like Spider-Man. Now, the other thing, sort of the other half of the, you know, the, the replacement for the gadget system is this new ability system. Basically, each character has their own set of moves that you can map to like one of the triggers and a button and you can have four of them equipped and they can do all kinds of wild stuff now these are on cooldowns so just they'll you have to wait 30 seconds or whatever after you use them and then you can use it again whereas the other ones are on charges so you have to get kills or finish fights or meet certain criteria to get them back where these are just a matter of time or like later, you can get some upgrades where they come back from combos or from killing enemies, stuff like that. But for the most part, it's four abilities that are all on cooldowns. These, I think, are executed much, much better than the gadgets are. I 100% agree. And I think that all of those abilities are really cool. Miles has all of his regular Venom abilities from Miles Morales, along with a handful of new ones. And then Peter Parker has more abilities that are based around his spider arms, which are kind of like doc ox arms from the previous game or you know the comics whatever except they're a little bit smaller and they're more spider themed yeah kind of like the iron spider ones yeah and i think that they're they're both really cool and they both really shake up combat in some interesting ways i think i would have preferred it if instead of peter getting the spider arms if he just had more gadgets or something on that side yeah Yeah. but yeah it, it feels like the arms are really only there just so Peter has abilities before he gets the symbiote because that has its own ability set. Mm-hmm. Right. And the symbiote abilities are also all way better than the arms. Yeah. For sure. Because the arms sure. ones, I don't think any of the arms ones are bad, but the symbiote ones are all a lot better. <laughs> the symbiote ones are, they do more damage. They cover larger areas. They're better ca- crowd control. Just across the board, the symbiote abilities are much better. And it's not until I would say at least the halfway point that you really have the whole symbiote set at your disposal well over halfway through the game if you're counting like side content and stuff as it's unlocked it takes a while to get there so there is like a pretty significant portion of this game where miles just feels a lot more powerful than peter is because miles already has a like a full really good set of abilities pretty much from minute one whereas peter has to work his way up to that i think miles starts with his best abilities I mean, like, he unlocks some new abilities as the story goes on, but there are, I I don't know, I guess it's like 50-50 on whether it's actually better than something he started out with. 
Yeah, that's how it I'd was for me. I, I kept his um Venom Punch and Venom Dash from the original game because the Venom Punch just does a bunch of damage and you can get an upgrade for the Venom Dash that lets you use it twice. Getting rid of the Venom Punch seems weird because that feels like it feels like heresy. <laughs> if I'm not going to punch Venom in the face with a with a Venom Punch, then like, what am I doing? Here? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but the other two the the venom slam and the venom lift because the the original four in this game are just the same ones from miles morales mm-hmm. they're still really good and fun to use but the uh the lift and slam i did change those to the new ones yeah there's but a lot Peter, of Peter, really i just cool... only used the symbiote ones once i got those <laughs> right there's a lot of really cool powers for both characters, and I do think that that was a really smart addition to the combat. I just wish we didn't have to give up some of the most iconic Spider-Man abilities and gadgets to get that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know why they got rid of the gadget wheel. I mean, that's Insomniac's bread and butter with Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> yeah, that also is another reason it feels weird. <laughs> oh, I was actually wrong. Um, there's one other thing that I think that uh, this game doesn't necessarily do as well as spider-man one uh that's the costumes the costumes in this game quantity they got that going for it (laughs) there are a lot of them (laughs) and like i don't know i don't know what happened with the costumes in this one there are a handful of incredible ones like like some are so cool and like the absolute best versions of spider-man but most of them are busy over-designed weird color choices like there's just there's way too much going on with way too many of the suits like to the point where i like didn't even like wear them for a a second just to see what they looked like speaking of the weird color choices so each well not each suit but most suits have four different color variations for some reason the base suit in this game for spider-man the first one is the base color. Second is black and red. That's the best one. The third one's an inverse that's like, all right, I guess. I'm not going to use it, but it's not like awful. The fourth one's mustard yellow. The mustard yellow one is obviously the worst one. The third one is a reference to like a Spider-Man versus Doctor Doom comic from like the 80s, where he creates a bizarro <laughs> Spider-Man, but bizarro Spider-Man nice. is really stupid. So he's not, he's, he's not really able to fight Spider-Man. It is also funny because that same set of color variations applies to most suits. It's standard blue and red, red and black, inverse red and blue, fourth horrible option that no one is going to use. You can use the original advanced suit and it's, it's foreskin is like this horrible bright orange. I don't, I don't know the decision behind it. I think the most baffling suit color decision is the fact that the classic suit has one of its color swaps is just the the normal red and blue suit, but instead of the spider being black, it's white. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea who wanted that. I guess the whole point behind that is like the advanced suit that Insomniac made had the white logo, so they were like, what if we just did that on the classic and it doesn't look very good? I can't complain, though, because... The black and red uh, classic suit is incredible. By far my favorite suit in this game, barring... I don't necessarily want to spoil some of the late game suits, because I think some of them are really good, and the rest of them are from the movies. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think almost every single movie suit is in this, except, like, homemade suits from uh, the Amazing movies and the Sam Raimi movies. Yeah. But the, the black and red suit, it looks just like uh, the Steve Dick co-design back from the 60s. It looks so good. That's what I wanted the Spider-Man suit to look like in everything. And also, I'm really happy to report that the 2099 black suit is back. And it's black this time. <laughs> We've never seen this in a video game before. They always make it blue or purple. Wow. Is that an ACDC reference? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of bad suit decisions, again, <laughs> uh, with the movie suits, the suit that you get for max level is the inside out suit from no way home i don't know why it's that one there's a much cooler suit that i can think of that should have been that but i'm not gonna say it on the podcast it's funny because the best suit in the game you get at level 50 and then the only suits you get after that are from the movies i just why why is every movie suit in this game like every other suit you unlock for peter parker is from the movie and it sucks yeah some of them are also weird the Sam Raimi suit and the Sam Raimi symbiote suit take up different spots. That could have just been a color swap. People would have complained. They, they don't want to mess with the Raimi Spider-Man fans anymore. Yeah. I get it. If they had just made it a color swap, people would have complained. They would have been like, um, actually, the spider is supposed to look slightly different on the black suit. It has the top of the legs curved inwards. So this is a 0 out of 10 game. Every single suit from... The MCU's in here. Every single one of them. Which is... How many is that? There's the homemade suit, the Stark suit, the upgraded Stark suit, the Iron Spider suit, the Night Monkey suit, the integrated suit, the Inside Out suit, and the suit from the Inner No Way Home. Yeah. That's eight suits. I don't know. I, it feels like a weird thing to harp on. It's just really weird decisions. I think the reason it's just so weird is that there's so many of those, mm -hmm. but they're so lacking in classic Spider-Man suits. Like, the first one had so many classic Spider-Man suits. Where's the big-time suit? Where's my GD big-time suit? Also, the Spider-Armor suits, there's not a single one of them. Last stand suit, my beloved. Bring me back Spider-Man in blue jeans, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool that they decided to partner with, like, a bunch of artists for the deluxe edition suits and... I've heard that there are more suits coming in the future that are going to be partnerships with artists. I don't want to hate on any of the artists, because I think some of them are pretty good. I think conceptually, a lot of them are really cool. Yeah, it feels like some of them are trying too hard to make a Spider-Man suit that doesn't look like a Spider-Man suit. Yeah. I think that's why one of my favorites is the, uh, the Apunctalypse suit, which is like an Apocalypse punk suit, but basically just has the, just a regular Spider-Man suit under it, so it still looks like Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of feels like Spider-Punk with extra layers. Yeah. yeah. I think Miles got the best Deluxe Edition suit, though. That uh, Tokukatsu suit, the one that's, like, inspired by the Power Rangers or, like, Kamen Rider and that kind of thing. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love that suit. If it means that we got the other nine suits to get that one, then it's a trade I'm willing to make. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing with the suits. You can really tell, like, that Miles as a character has only been around for what, 11 years now? 2012 was when Miles got his first comic, right? That sounds right. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the Miles suits, like, I don't know the right term they use, but they seem very concept art-ish, if that makes sense. A lot of them seems like things they were going for, but never got around to. 
I think with Miles, a lot of his suits are kind of based in streetwear, and that's just a culture that I'm not really a part of in any way, so I don't feel like I can get into those suits. I don't like most of them, but just kind of seems like they're, they're designed for an art style that I've just never really experienced. I don't feel like I'm the intended uh, demographic for a lot of Miles Morales' suits, but I'm definitely the intended audience for Peter Parker's suits, so I feel much better criticizing them. Exactly. <laughs> the fact that Miles yeah. Morales is wearing tennis shoes in like almost all of his alternate costumes says a lot to me. I don't yeah. know anything about tennis shoes. I don't really care. I think it's annoying that they made a weird deal with Adidas, especially when Miles Morales in the movies is wearing Jordans, but... You know, whatever. I don't have an issue with, like, him having shoes for a lot of his suits. I think a lot of them are pretty cool. I like that a lot of them have hoods. <laughs> I, I feel like with the Miles suits, there's not a whole lot that are bad. There's a whole lot that are just kind of boring. But then Miles does have some really cool suits. Like the Miles Morales 2020 suit. I love that one. I just like that one because I like Daft Punk, though. <laughs> <laughs> he also has the uh, the Boga Date the bodega cat suit that one's really cool his returning suits for miles morales are pretty good i like his 10th Mm -hmm. anniversary costume in this game i didn't really like it in the comics i think that was mostly because it was pink and now i can make it red and i like it a lot more in red his 2099 suit that one's also really cool he's got another one that's kind of similar to that that was also in miles morales Uh, i don't know what it's called though but it's also like a hooded type thing you know we've talked a lot about spider-man we have not talked about the story of this game at all. Yeah, I thought that would actually be a good way to kind of close up our conversation because I had a really interesting experience with this game. For me, I think the story started much stronger than the first, but I didn't care as much for the combat. But by the end of the game, I think that it kind of switched. I think that the combat did really come together for me especially once you have all four of your abilities and you have some things that can speed up their cooldowns whereas i think the story goes some interesting directions that it has some really really cool set piece moments i don't think it had quite as big of an impact in the end as the first game did i think the story in this game is bolder for sure mm-hmm. but i don't think it's necessarily as like quintessential spider-man in my mind whereas i think that was one thing that the first game got right across the board by the end even if it took a while to get there i felt like the game should have been a few hours longer and that would have been a huge improvement on it of just Mm. giving those big heavy moments some extra time to breathe and really establishing the relationship between peter and harry a little bit more dang this should have been a harry osborne spinoff game before this (laughs) yeah It feels like once Peter gets the symbiote suit that like any character development between him and Harry just stops. They don't share like any moments between those two, between that event and like the end of the game. Which really sucks because some of the best moments in this game are the ones with Harry and Peter. Like pretty early on in the game, there's a scene where you and Harry go back to uh, Midtown High and that's... It's one of the best parts of the game. Yeah. And it's not even like for Spider-Man reasons. It's just like two friends reminiscing and it has flashbacks to, you know, them having to break into the school when they were kids for an assignment and like showing this dichotomy between where they started and where they are now and like how they've changed and how they've stayed the same. Like it was such a cool part of the game. And those moments just, they're not in 
like the entire back half basically until the very end and they try to bring a bunch of stuff back to a head right in like the last mission and i don't think it necessarily sticks the landing on that something i think is really weird about those flashbacks is there's a scene where it's him and aunt may and he like gets angry and punches a hole in the wall and i really thought that that would come back with like the whole symbiote thing kind of taking his anger and you know molding it (laughs) to make him a more ruthless spider-man they never mentioned that scene again. <laughs> I I don't understand yeah. why it happened. I know it's like a kind of a nitpick. It just what a weird scene to have no building on. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because I think that this game tries to be very sentimental and I think most of the time it succeeds, but there's also just a couple of moments specifically in some of the flashbacks and specifically in moments between Peter and MJ where it's like there's a conversation that felt like it was supposed to be a lot bigger than it was and i don't know if it's dialogue reasons or if it's something about the way that this game looks and the way the character models are there's just something about it doesn't click a couple of times like there are a couple of moments that should be these big dramatic character moments and i think instead are just kind of fine i think a big part of that is just they don't give it time to breathe those big character moments come like directly after something else that was a big character moment <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. it's just the the entire back half of the game maybe even two-thirds of the game like it's just all right big set piece and big action moment big set piece big action moment like it just feels like we're on a i don't even know like a roller coaster ride but it's all drops yeah <laughs> i felt like in the f- first spider-man they would break those up pretty easily you do a big cinematic fight sequence thing and then for a little it would have you like just go do some stuff with Doc Ock uh well before he's Doc Ock um like in the lab go like do some of that stuff go see what Aunt May's up to specifically the part in the first game where you finish some big fight and then for uh a while you're just tracking down stuff that was lost from your apartment when it got evicted and you weren't there to get everything out of it. Like, like stuff like that. Like you're not worried about some big villain at that time or anything like that. You're just, you're trying to get your stuff back, trying to not lose all your stuff. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause they kind of set up that kind of thing early in the game by establishing like Peter is having a lot of trouble keeping down a job and he's, he has this huge mortgage that he's just not able to pay because of aforementioned job issues. And it just doesn't come up again. Or like, it comes up again in conversation, but it never feels like there are any actual consequences to those things. The only way of bringing it back up is he starts sending in photography for money, but that's just to set up a side mission where you take photography like the first game. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing that this game is missing is Peter Parker moments because Mm -hmm. it feels like you are in the costume in this game 95% of the time. Which is really interesting because they nailed the dynamic between Spider-Man and Peter Parker so well in the first game. Yeah. The only connections that Peter Parker has to the world in this game are MJ and Harry. And everyone else he interacts with is as Spider-Man. And even then, like you said, they kind of forego Harry in the back half. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that I think the story is overall bad. I still think it is very good. Yeah. I just don't think it is as tight of a package as the first game or Miles Morales. I feel like we haven't really talked about Miles Morales' story. It has the same issues. 
I feel like because Miles Morales hasn't been on a whole lot of the big screen or games or anything, mm -hmm. that people don't really know what to do with Miles yet. Because, like, where Peter's been around for so long, like, everyone knows what to do with Peter Parker. Like, you write a story about how he loses over and over again, but still gets up. I feel like no one has really figured out, like, anything like that for Miles yet, except, like, the Into the Spider-Verse movies about him just, like, I don't know how to sum it up, um, doing his own thing, as he says in Across the Spider-Verse. The problem with Miles' story is actually, it's the same issues that Peter Parker's story has, but I think it's worse in some ways. Because it's pretty clearly established that Miles' biggest issue is finding things that he's passionate in and also finding things that he does as Miles and not as Spider-Man. But since the game has maybe two or three moments where you're Miles Morales and not, you know, Spider-Man. Yeah, there's not enough times that you play as Miles Morales. Like, am I really supposed to believe by the end of the game that he has discovered who Miles Morales is without Spider-Man or how to have those two lives coincide? Because I've seen no actual movement towards that growth. Yeah, because I think the Miles Morales game did a very good job as establishing Miles as his own Spider-Man. But I feel like Spider-Man 2 didn't do a great job of establishing how different is he from Peter Parker's Spider-Man. It's weird because it feels like they tried to establish it with, you know, his interest in music, but it only actually comes up in the story two or three times. He has a side mission chain and then it comes up in the main story one time. Yeah. But then by the end of the game, they try to act like, oh, yeah, he's figured it out. He knows who he is now. Like he's writing his college entrance essays. No problem. <laughs> it just feels like that growth isn't there and i think that the biggest issue with this game is just the fact that it has two protagonists and it doesn't have enough time to actually flesh out either of them enough to make this story work but it's still very good i know that feels like it feels like i'm harping on it a lot but i like i do still think at the end of the day like it is a it is a good story it's a good spider-man story and it is fun it's just it's got some rough edges that I think could have been sanded off with just just a few extra hours of content. Like, that's something that you can throw together yeah. in 15 minutes. But, like, yeah. it, it needed some extra breathing room for both characters to really get across the points that it, it tries to tell you at the end that it's solved. I think it would have done really, really well with another mission as each character. So the game has this really, really great mission early on where you're playing as Peter Parker and you're just chilling at Coney Island with Harry and MJ. I think it could have really benefited from another mission like that later in the game where it shows Peter trying to still be just like a normal guy and friends with Peter and MJ while he's being basically possessed by the symbiote. Because I feel like a lot of Peter's arc is tied to the fact that the symbiote is changing him but for the most part it's like he's normal 90% of the time and then he says one really mean thing and then he's just kind of back to normal <laughs> so. he's normal and then he says one mean thing and then he's normal again and then he's very mean yeah <laughs> yeah it's very sudden which I think is fine in some context like I think that's fine for a movie but I think if the game's going to be 30 hours long, there should probably be a more gradual slope to that. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't necessarily think it needs a lot more. I think just 
like you said, one more mission as Peter between that. And maybe having one as Miles as well, where he's, you know, dealing with the fact that Peter is ignoring him, essentially. Right. Uh, it, it feels like there was it feels like there's a time jump in the middle of the game and no, yeah, no one mentions it. So one part of the story we haven't really touched on uh, is Craven, who is kind of established as this game's major villain. And I think there's kind of a reason for that in that Craven's not super interesting. <laughs> I think that there are a lot of people that are saying like, oh, Craven's the worst in this game. But I think that saying that Craven is like a terrible primary antagonist is trying is like trying to say that Mr. Negative was a terrible primary antagonist. And Mr. Negative was not the main villain of Spider-Man <laughs> 1. Yeah. I guess spoilers if you haven't played the game, but Mr. Negative was just there to like set up what was really important. Craven's kind of the same thing. The only reason I think it's worse here is because Craven takes up a bigger percentage of the game first. Also, a lot of Craven's like whole deal is kind of hidden inside content. Yeah. Like the reason that like he's there doing all this and all that sort of stuff is kind of just hidden inside content for a fair bit of the game. It's weird because I, I do really like Craven as a character. Like I like him in this game. I think it's a decent portrayal yeah. of Craven as a character. It's weird how Craven the Hunter has an entire organization of people that go out and catch the people that he wants to hunt so he can kill them in a gladiatorial combat arena. That's not what hunting is. That's not hunting. <laughs> You're a very bad hunter, Craven. You hire some good hunters. I feel like they really struggled to figure out how to do Craven for a video game because, like, it's easier to do Craven for a movie because it's a roughly two hour time slot that will maybe have like three to five action sequences or something but like a video game especially one like spider-man that the combat centers around fighting a whole bunch of enemies at once you have to have a army somehow in the game to be able to have like a fighting force against spider-man yeah i hear that you know what game i think did it better shattered dimensions where he has like a cult of people that want to be hunters like craven and that game is, I think, does a better job of establishing that Craven is hunting you, and he also has his cult of hunters that wants to hunt you first to, to prove themselves, essentially. Craven was also only in, like, one mission of that game, though, right? Yeah. Well, this is most of a game. Okay. I, I still think that it worked better in that game. It's almost like maybe Craven isn't an entire game villain. Yeah, that's sort of what I got out of this, is that I don't... I mean, I'm sure it's possible. Like, I'm sure with good enough writers that really understand the character and the character's relationship with Spider-Man, I'm sure they could do it. I do think that this game was very much made from the ground up with the idea that Kraven was just going to be the vehicle to get you to Venom, though. Yeah. And they ended up making Kraven kind of overstay his welcome a bit. Yeah. Yeah, because even in Spider-Man 2018, while Martin Lee did serve just mostly as a vehicle to get you the Doc Ock, there was still emotional connection between Peter Parker and Mr. Lee since he ran feasts in the game and like also had a connection to Aunt May. So like there was more of an emotional connection there between Peter Parker and Martin Lee, but there's nothing like that in Spider-Man 2. Can I be honest and say Martin Lee is my favorite character in Spider-Man 2? I think they did even better with his character this time around. He is so good and all of his interactions with Miles just... Mm -hmm. It's easily the best part of the game. Oh, yeah. I wish they would have focused more on that for Miles 
like i feel like there's just like very a very small chunk of the game where miles has to deal with martin lee again and i wish there would have been more of that and i think that would have been really good for his character both martin lee's and miles it's hard to get into without you know going into spoilers but yeah, you know for sure miles and martin lee have a lot of baggage because martin lee killed miles's dad in the previous well in spider-man one i was gonna say previous yeah. game but i guess it was two games ago spider-man 2 the third game uh it's a hard thing to keep in mind <laughs> the way that miles grows while interacting with martin lee and kind of them bouncing off of each other that's the comic book goodness that you're coming to this game for so this take on venom is one i haven't personally seen i know that venom in the comics has changed a lot especially in the last 10 years or so where the whole concept of venom and the symbiote has expanded out to where it's this like eldritch god level thing and i was not expecting I was not expecting Venom, the movie version of Venom in this game, but I also wasn't expecting as, like, big of a scope of the character as they were going for. Like, this is not evil Spider-Man. Venom in this game is a monster. Straight up menace. He is brutal, and he has powers that go way beyond what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Not always in a positive way either, I will say. I think that they go a little too far with Venom sometimes. Yeah, which is also an issue in the comics. Maybe not now, but was for a little, because they were doing a, a huge symbiote line there for a minute. Yeah, a lot of this game's symbiote stuff is built on the comics recently. Like the King in Black yeah. storyline. It has allusions to like, I think his name's Null, the guy that like created the symbiotes and stuff like that. It goes way deeper into the Venom lore than I was honestly ever expecting. It still doesn't go so deep that I thought it was going to be some of that weird stuff, though. Thankfully, I got worried it would be. I thought it was interesting when you start seeing the spirals on enemies. Like, what is this, Saw? <laughs> I don't know. I was a little disappointed with Venom because it seemed like in the marketing, especially with all that stuff where it's Venom talking about like how he wants to heal the world and stuff like that. Like, I thought that Venom was going to be more than he was. And to me, it felt like he was more or less just kind of a hulking monster for the majority of his time in the plot, except for the final boss fight. Like, he, he wasn't necessarily as fleshed out as I would have liked. And he was very single-minded in his goal of taking over the world. I don't know. It's probably just a personal complaint, but I, I thought he was a little bit oversimplified from what I would have liked to have seen. And I really would have liked some more moments where it's, Venom interacting with Spider-Man, mm -hmm. either one, about, you know, his issues with the Spider-People, because he has a lot of personal issues with them that the game just doesn't, I don't think it hits on them enough. Okay, well, it's a lot of Spider-Man 2, so let's, let's recap it all right here, right now. Jackson, what are your final thoughts on Spider-Man 2? I feel like I've been slightly too negative in this review and i think there are definitely things in this game that are worthy of being negative about but it is definitely a great game still like i still really enjoyed every moment i had with this game always having fun always felt like the story was like going in a pretty good direction it just felt like at least story-wise it did need a little more to kind of flesh out things correctly and like at a good pace Felt a little too fast at some points, but I do think that overall it was very, very good. And I'm very excited for Spider-Man 3 or whatever spin-off sequel we get between this one. 
I really liked Spider-Man 2. I, I thought it was really good. And I mean, I guess if I had to lay my thoughts out in a single sentence, it would be Spider-Man 2 has incredible gameplay and a story that is just about there for being perfect. Unfortunately, it's missing a little bit of the, uh, you know, I feel like we've kind of been harping on this. It's missing breathing room, you know? It feels like things are accelerated a little bit too much, as if they were aiming for a 15-20 hour runtime for the game, and they did not want to deviate from that. But I, I think that if there was a little bit more fleshing out in the middle, that this could be, you know, one of those perfect Spider-Man stories that people would talk about, you know, for years to come. And I think people are going to talk about this game for a long time, but it's going to be mostly for the gameplay front. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I. Can't think of anyone I wouldn't recommend this one to. I mean, if you if you don't like Spider-Man games, this isn't going to be the one to change your mind. But <laughs> I think Spider-Man's one of those heroes where just about anybody that plays video games probably likes Spider-Man games because they have something for everyone. And just the web swinging alone is so good and so unique among games. Yeah. And I think Spider-Man's one of those characters that like with any of their media, unless you get something like horrendously wrong it can still be enjoyable like spider amazing spider-man 2 there's some bad stuff about that movie i don't know who wrote those villains but they no but that movie i still find pretty enjoyable because spider-man's in it spider-man just has such a strong defined character that he's kind of hard to mess up everybody that's making a spider-man story at least knows enough about the character because there's enough of him that's in the public consciousness that you're not going to screw him up unless you're intentionally trying to. Right. But no one's going to make a Spider-Man game where he's not strong-willed and riddled by guilt, <laughs> but he's still able to make a joke about it. And that's Spider-Man in a nutshell, and that's all you need to know. This game has that Spider-Man in it. Jordan, how about you? I think that a pretty good summary is, is something I said earlier, where I feel like the story in this game got off to such a strong start compared to the first one that it just didn't quite stick with that momentum the whole way through. Whereas the combat, I think there was a lot of things right off the bat that I just didn't love, but then kind of grew on me as time went on. So I think that by all intents and purposes, this is still an, a fantastic superhero game, like one of the best out there. It's just that it does a couple of things a little bit worse than its predecessor. And I think that the things it improves are more just mechanical things. They're not necessarily things that elevate the overall tone or the style of the game. So I think that there's a lot to like here. I just think that the biggest thing you're always going to do with any sequel, or at least that I'm going to do with any sequel, is compare it to the original. And I just don't think this game quite tops Spider-Man 1. But I think a lot of that is due to like what you said. I think this game just needed to be bigger than it was. I think they were very committed to it being roughly the same length as the first game, when in reality this game just deserved several more hours at least. Yeah, especially with like as big as a story as they wanted to tell. Like they were really trying to sell something really big here, and especially the third act feels like it should have been a good bit longer than it was. Yeah. I feel like it had such a strong opening and such a strong ending, though, that it, it really is a shame that the middle what's there is good. It's just short. Well, that's already a lot of Spider-Man 2 talk. So I think that means it's time. 
to pull the plug. Jackson, what else have you been into? Well, I missed the last two episodes of this podcast, which were the ones on Baldur's Gate 3 and Assassin's Creed Mirage. So I'm going to talk a little bit about those. I'm going to talk about Baldur's Gate 3 first because I don't have as much to say about that because I only played around five hours or so of that. I liked what I played. However, and this kind of goes back to something you guys talked about in the episode that y'all did on it because I did listen to most of that. Playing it as someone that has not played D&D was very frustrating. <laughs> and I think y'all know that from the time when you guys watched me play some of it. Yeah. Just a lot of it I didn't understand. And the things that you were telling me to do in the game, most of them I had no idea what they were until you were telling me what to do. I don't know. I, I liked I liked it. I liked interacting with the characters, stuff like that. And I even liked the combat, which traditionally I don't like anything turn-based. But, you know, I, I, liked, I liked what I played combat-wise. Once I understood what I was doing, it got a lot better then. But then I found out I wasn't going to be able to be on the episode. And I knew I already already hadn't put much time into it so just decided to lay off it for a while but then the other one i missed assassin's creed mirage that one i did play a good bit of i even beat that one which is very rare for me to do on this podcast i think you beat it before either of us did too i did i liked it it was pretty good i don't think it was great definitely better than the rpgs for sure at least gameplay wise maybe not story wise but gameplay wise yeah 10 times better i very much miss the traditional Assassin's Creed stealth style of like having these tools at your disposal and using stealth like entirely actually being able to use stealth because you can you know actually assassinate people in this because y'all remember in uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey when stabbing someone in the neck and it killed him immediately that was the worst that alone was what really just completely turned me off to Odyssey I liked Origins it definitely had its issues but like I still enjoyed it overall odyssey just completely lost me it was it emphasized the rpg mechanics so much that it didn't even feel like stealth was an option anymore i basically had the opposite experience with odyssey and mirage uh, i hated the gameplay in odyssey but the story carried me through it and mirage was the complete opposite i really liked the gameplay the sword combat was kind of bad i don't think it was as bad as you guys think it was but definitely some of the worst this year. You saying that just makes me think that maybe the combat in the RPG games is worse than I assumed. <laughs> the, the stealth combat was so good, but the, the story was, yeah, I didn't really connect with any of the characters. They had the, they had the assassinating that was there, the stealthing. That's what I was mostly there for. Being able to run around on rooftops again. And you know what? It was a time. It certainly was a time. Yeah. I mean, like, if they make another game in this style, I'll definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. I would still vastly prefer... Honestly, I wish they would go back to the engine they used for, like, Syndicate. Instead of trying to force all of this stuff that that engine that they're currently using just isn't made for. Or I don't know if it's the engine or just, like, the way that they're designing it, but it's very clear when you're playing Mirage that it's still built on the bones of the RPGs and not, like, yeah the old-style Assassin's Creed games. I think they are still using the same engine as Valhalla. I don't think they used the same engine as Origins and Odyssey, but it felt very similar to Valhalla, like the parkour, which is kind of weird to talk about because parkour in Valhalla was very limiting due to the lack of 
you know, like cities to run around and stuff. But the way that things just didn't connect well when trying the free run and stuff, that was very much still there. Like it was in Valhalla. All I'm saying, my biggest complaint with that parkour is that I went back and played a game from six years ago and it was significantly, significantly better. Yeah. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction for like any future more traditional Assassin's Creed, which it seems what they're going to be doing is like a traditional Assassin's Creed than an RPG and just kind of going through that for a while. So it'll probably be a good bit until the next traditional style Assassin's Creed. So I'm I'm hoping they can like get more right next time. But I think this was a good step in the direction. Definitely not great, but I'd say pretty good time. Plus it's like $20 less than a game is usually these days. So 50 bucks, which still sounds weird to say, because, you know, if you say a game's $20 off, you're just immediately going to think, oh, that's 40 bucks. No, games are $70 still. I say still, like, that's going to change. It could change. Well, I mean, it's going to go up eventually. Well, change by going lower. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But anyways, yeah, uh, that's my thoughts on the games that I've missed out on. So, Jason, what well, you've been playing? I bet it's not something I've played at all recently. Well, I know it's something you've both played. A few weeks, days ago, <laughs> we decided that we were going to kind of move some stuff in our schedule around so we could talk about Alan Wake 2 near the end of the year. A little bit of a spoiler looking ahead at the podcast, but uh, I have this compulsive need to play all of the games that come before a game before I can play it. So there was no way that I was going to play Alan Wake 2 without playing Alan Wake 1, but then... Oh no, I find out that it's part of a connected universe where there's like a bunch of other games that you're supposed to play before you get to the Alan Wake 2. Do I need to play Max Payne and Quantum Break? Arguably, I'm not going to. I, I found that most people agreed that before you play Alan Wake 2, you need to play Alan Wake, Alan Wake standalone DLC, American Nightmare, and then Control and its expansion called Awe, which, uh, I think stands for Alan Wake expansion. So I'm, I'm working through those, but the game that I'm here to talk about right now is Alan Wake. And I'm probably just going to go ahead and talk about American nightmare as well. I was kind of surprised because I remembered when Alan Wake came out back in 2010, seeing marketing for it, like all over the place and being both intrigued and weirdly uninterested because I knew it was going to be like a scary horror game and I absolutely did not like horror games back then. I still really don't like most horror games, but Dead Space and Resident Evil kind of opened my eyes. It was interesting finally playing a game that was kind of mythologized in my own mind for so long, <laughs> but I found that I, I honestly really liked Alan Wake. I thought that the story's really cool. You know, it goes for this like Stephen King vibe. It's very much Stephen King inspired. They they even drop his name multiple times. The game starts with the Stephen King quote. Yeah, it's in like a rural town in the middle of nowhere. It's the most Stephen King video game I think I've ever played, just in tone and setting. Stephen King, and from what I understand, but can't really see because I've never watched it, and Twin Peaks are very big inspirations. Yeah, I don't know if you watched bright falls they did a prequel no mini series before the game came out called bright falls and it, it's about the town and what was going on in the town right before alan wake arrives and the events of the game take place and it's 
very weird and trippy and even more obviously Twin Peaks inspired than the game is. Is Bright Falls, does it do the live action thing? Bright Falls is all live action. It's a it's a mini series, like a TV series. Yeah, I was wondering that because one of the things I really like about Alan Wake is how there is a lot of live action stuff incorporated into it. Like you'll, you'll come across TVs a lot that are all like what's on the TV is live action shot stuff. What's really cool about that is they lean into it even more in the the DLC American Nightmare and it's really cool like the production value that was put into a game that's only like four hours long. Is American Nightmare a separate game or is it a DLC for the main game? It's a separate game. It's weird. It's I mean it's more like a standalone DLC. If you played Far Cry Blood Dragon I mean it's the same kind of deal. Makes sense. It's really good. It gripped me the whole way through. I mean, like, I couldn't put it down. And especially when I started playing American Nightmare, which I will admit is pretty repetitive because it's got, like, a time loop mechanic to it. So you're doing the same things over and over. The story of these games is just so interesting in the way it's told. There are these manuscript pages from a book that the main character doesn't remember writing but is currently living through. And the way that those pages will either provide context to events that you've already seen happen, or they'll kind of warn you about upcoming events so you can be better prepared for them, or even just, you know, kind of tell you about something that's going to happen in the future, but you get to see it from a different perspective when you're actually playing it. It's so cool. Honestly, I didn't expect to like it anywhere near as much as I do. Mm. I think the combat, especially in you know, like Alan Wake itself. I think in American Nightmare, they fix a lot of my issues, but Alan Wake, the combat feels a little too slow. I don't know. It feels like you need to run from combat more often than you can actually do it, which I think is, you know, it's part of the vibe. And I think that was cool for the first little bit of the game, but eventually it kind of gets old of just being surrounded by a whole bunch of enemies and the dodge mechanic doesn't feel like it's tuned as well as it is in American Nightmare. There are certainly issues with it, but I don't know. It was so good. I really enjoyed it. I, it, I couldn't put it down. Maybe one of my favorite games I've played this year. It's going to be in my top five. I've also been playing it. Um, I'm about halfway through. Really liking it so far. It very gripping. Jordan, you should tell us about how you don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I really don't have too much to say. I like the aesthetic and I like the style it's going for. I don't like the gameplay at all. And I don't like the dialogue very much. I think it's from an era where show don't tell wasn't really, uh, it wasn't the way we did things yet. <laughs> um Sometimes it feels like a lot of the conversations and specifically Alan's inner monologue are just like, I am doing this now. Now I am doing this. Now I'm doing this. Like, it's not. No, see, I love that because it's supposed to be like he's narrating a book. Yeah, I I feel like that's a big part of the presentation as well. Yeah, I think that's a big reason that I love it so much because of like that sort of stuff. And he uses like overly flowery language to do it. You know, he never just says like, I turned on the generator. He's like, I pulled on the rusty generators. uh, I don't know what the pull handle's called. (laughs) Like he'll he'll Mm. give a lot of extra detail about like 
really minor things that most games wouldn't yeah. pay, wouldn't give like any attention to, like the creaking of a of a door's hinges or you know, mm-hmm. like the sputtering of an engine on a car as it's trying to yeah. come alive. And just a heads up, that stuff is still in Alan Wake 2. <laughs> I've heard. I haven't played any of Alan Wake 2. I gotta get through Control. I don't even own it. I bounced off of Control when I tried to play it a few years ago, but I'm giving it another shot. I bounced off of it because I thought it was going to kill my computer. <laughs> but that was a lot of talk about Alan Wake. Jordan, what have you been up to? Well, uh, I decided that I want to talk a little bit about Fortnite season OG. <laughs> So, you know, we, we've talked about Fortnite quite a few times on the on the podcast, and it's been our pulling the plug a few times, and back when we did headlines, it was like every episode, there was something new. I miss Fort News. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they've done something kind of interesting this time around. So, generally, each chapter lasts exactly a year, or at least the last two have lasted exactly a year. Um, however, this time, they ended the chapter sort of early, by about a month, Um and brought back the chapter one map. It's really interesting because it also has seen some sort of mechanical changes and some visual changes to sort of make it more in line with the original experience. And I will say, I'm really glad Fortnite has changed in the ways that it has, because I couldn't imagine this being like the only way to play, but it has been a really cool trip down memory lane. Uh Um, Because I didn't play a ton of Fortnite in its early days, but as someone who has now played a lot of Fortnite, going back and seeing it from that perspective has been really, really cool. As someone that played a lot of Fortnite in its early days, stopped playing for a very long time and then started playing it a lot in like the past two years, going back to this has been very intriguing. The season that it's going back to, which is like chapter one, season five. That was the first season that I really played a lot of Fortnite back in the day. And then, you know, I stopped playing for a few years, kind of like Jackson. It's really interesting going back to it after all this time. It's also kind of funny because Avengers Endgame told us this was going to happen. They knew. (laughs) Yeah. They knew. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting, though. Like, playing it specifically in no build mode is especially wild because clearly the original Fortnite map was not made with no build mode in mind. Yeah. It's very open. There's not a lot of interesting stuff. I think that there are more places of interest and i do think that they are still kind of cool but most of the map between is just open fields yeah which like there is that in the newer maps since then but usually there's like a lot more stuff in them the topography is a lot more diverse a lot more like foliage and stuff so there's more cover yeah i mean let's put it this way back when this map that we're going back to for fortnite og Back when we were actually on that map, I remember doing 50v50s and there would be just huge fields that get turned into fortresses, essentially, by all the people playing. And people don't fortress in the same way these days that they would <laughs> back then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when you were just playing squads back then, there would be people that would make a, a giant fort in the middle of a field. I mostly play in no build these days because I'm not very good at the building part. I'm not very good at the shooting part either, but we ignore that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe I'm off, but even when, you know, it was still build mode that I was playing primarily, I don't remember people building the way that they did back then. Yeah, it's it's very interesting going back. I've only played two matches, but both of them I found very interesting because one of the weird things about Chapter 1 of Fortnite, where 
building was very obviously integrated because it was made with it in mind. There's a lot of landscapes that you can't get to without building. And seeing those again is very interesting. It's very funny. Um, something I also found very funny back in the original chapter one, uh, Loot Lake didn't have like deep water around it. It was very shallow. You just, you moved very slow in it and you couldn't sprint. I figured for this, they would just make it deeper and you'd actually swim in it. It is just how it was in chapter one. And it's very funny because it seems that either a lot of people don't remember that or they just are dealing with it. So going to Loot Lake, very easy way to get kills. <laughs> yeah, I was actually saying that that exact thing to Jason when we were playing the other day, how I I forgot that swimming wasn't like actually a mechanic until chapter two yeah. and boy that was a bigger game changer than i realized yep this is exactly why you can take me to moisty mire but not loot lake <laughs> <laughs> yep yep but yeah i think you know if you've been out of Fortnite for a long time now is the time to get back on or maybe not this is the first time where we've consistently hit cues because there are so many people playing right now <laughs> But yeah, it's hit it hit its highest concurrent player count of like forty seven million or something. No, it was six million. <laughs> you sure? Yes, because like the world record before that was only three million. I gotta check this now. <laughs> Yesterday, Fortnite peaked at five point eight million concurrent players, the highest for the game in many many years. Maybe it was total amount of players in like twenty four hours or something. Maybe. 44.7 million players in one day. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. Okay. That's a lot of people, though. Okay, I was wrong. The world record for concurrent players is 15 million. I could have sworn Fortnite beat it, and it was only like 3 million before that. But Anyways, a lot of people are playing Fortnite right now. (laughs) But that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on X the app formerly known as Twitter. It's at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, it's at Totally Biased Media. And third, you can find us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. Uh, you can also send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to see your reviews for some upcoming games. Uh, the next review is going to be for Super Mario Wonder, um, but we're also going to be talking about Alan Wake 2 and... Wario! WarioWare and Super Mario RPG. We're kind of done with the big ones after this, y'all. Like, well, we still got Wario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mario Wonder is like the last like big blockbuster game of the year. It re- really hit fast. But if you have any strong opinions about any of those games, feel free to send us an email. We'd love to read it on the episode. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons, and I'm Jackson Walkup, and you. Just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.